everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Ricca. With me, as always, I have STR's Isaac Colazzo and co-stars Jan Freitag. Hi, guys. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Steph. Now, dear listener, here's what's a little different this time. We are recording from the America's Lodging Investment Summit in L.A., this, of course, is the traditional annual scene setter event for the hotel industry. Really, what it does is it gauges the overall mood and sentiment of hotel owners, investors, operators, brands, really all the big movers and shakers, right? The big wigs. And as we record, we're wrapping up the second day of the conference. And I don't know about you guys, but my feet hurt. Jan, Isaac, you feeling no. pretty good? You okay. feeling tired? I uh, no. This is great. It's sunny. It's beautiful in L.A. today. Yesterday was gloomy. I'll be, it was crazy gloomy. It was rainy. Never rains in Southern California. There's a song about that, right? But it's today, it's gorgeous. And that's what this industry is about. It's a gorgeous, fabulous industry. <laughs> uh, I think last year when we got together, we were probably cautiously optimistic. But the one word I heard this year more often is just optimistic. So that's your one-word assessment? If we did a quick lightning round, one-word optimistic? I was just listening to David Duncan from First Hospitality. He was moderating a Wall Street panel, and he asked for exactly that, a one-word assessment from four Wall Street guys. And one said, better. One said, optimistic. The third guy said, decent. And the last guy said, it depends. And then everybody booed him because there was two words. But so I think it's still a little, like, a gamut of okay to, like, slightly not okay, but overall, I had the distinct sense, especially after listening to Amanda Heights' uh, forecast yesterday, that things are looking pretty good. And who was telling you that a year ago? Who was telling you that six months ago? I think there was a guy sitting next to you going, you got it wrong. You're not looking at the right data. We kept looking, and I, everything I looked at, oh, consumer sentiment is down. No one's going to travel. Bull. We knew it. We could see it. And then you look at the data on consumer spending. Consumer spending is going to be down. We're so worried about Christmas spending. No one's going to spend money. Guess what? It was up. And it's still up. And it's because the people, people, not the people, people want experiences. They still want to be out with others. And I think that's why everyone's optimistic because now they see the same tea leaves that I've been talking about. And the numbers look good. I mean, it looks moderate. I guess good is all relative. It's, a more, it's going to be a more moderate year. Uh, 2024 than what we saw in the last three years, but it's still, it's positive. It's RevPAR growth. That's what we want. Now, before we dip into the new forecast, which we will talk about, another news-making event from this week, I don't know if I would agree entirely about all of your sentiment. I think I'm more with Jan and the general optimism. You've got to admit that there are still... 100%. Big hurdles. 100%. I agree. Which are? There is interest uh, rates. Interest rates. And again, we don't know when the Fed will start lowering them, right? So there are some, some issues, and we still expect GDP growth to slow. But I, my contention has always been that GDP is a measure of the general economy. And the people who travel are different from the general public. And again, if you look at those specifics and the higher income, specifically higher income households and college educated individuals, they're in a better standing or footing than most other individuals. And these are the individuals that will travel and do travel because they have the means to travel. And again, that's where I get a little bit more optimistic than others because I'm just watching that. I'm watching those lines. I'm looking at unemployment by college educated individuals 
very low, still looking at the growth in household incomes above 100,000, looking at real disposable income among those individuals, and there's all going up. And that's, I had already seen that last year. So again, that's why, for me, I'm not different. At the same time, we're still missing the corporate transient traveler. Yes. You know, the, the occupancy that we recorded last year was not as high as it was in 2019. At the same time, we're still missing the international inbound. It's getting slowly better, but uh, tourism economics suggests that the Chinese traveler won't get back in force to the United States until 2026 or so. And at the same time, if indeed the American consumer is in such a good shape as you suggested, aren't they all going to this year? Last year they went to Venice, and this year are they going to all to Athens? No, not necessarily, because the, uh, the exchange rates now have more moderated, right? So now you're going to see it's not on sale per se, and they've done that. So again, I think we will see some changing travel patterns. Will we see the exodus that we saw in the summer and even in the fourth quarter? Because we were very surprised by the number of people going outbound in the fourth quarter. Will that rate of growth continue? No, I don't think so. I think it's going to moderate. But again, I do think it's, well, obviously, it will still surpass outbound and inbound. But I don't know if you saw the latest tourism economics forecast, but they are predicting inbound to the U.S. will be back at 2019 levels, barely in 2024. Again, it's a forecast, so let's take it with a grain of salt, but that's their forecast at the moment for inbound. Whether it could be a different composition of travelers, it may not be the Chinese travelers, it could be European travelers, it could be anything, but that's currently what they're thinking. So that's a possibility. What else have you picked up over the last two days from conference sessions, general sessions, speakers on any stage, conversations in the elevator that made you think, hmm, that's interesting? The thing I was, Jan and I were talking at lunch is maybe the way we look at and the way we think about segmentation, right? We've always looked at business uh, transient or business transient, leisure, and then group, right? Maybe we have to rethink that because I am in the same camp. That I, I think business travel is going to be different for some time. Never say never. I don't think, I think it will come back to some, the Monday through Wednesday levels. We'll get back to 2019 sometime in the future, but not anytime soon. But maybe we need to think differently. And what I heard today had me thinking, uh, we, I forgot what panel it was, but they were talking about the luxury traveler and how that continues to grow. It was yesterday, actually, one of the CEO panels as well. And MGM's CEO said that their luxury properties have seen ADR increase by 35% since 2019. And you got to remember, inflation since 2019 has only gone up 19%. So we go, there is a, maybe we've got to rethink and maybe that whole luxury lifestyle is what will be a new segmentation instead of this whole business leisure. Maybe we have to think differently. I don't know what that is. That's a, a great topic, but at some point we'll need to, I think we need to think differently. That's my main point. Yeah. And along those lines, we saw one new brand launch, HQ, I guess is the, is the name of it, uh, with, with Wyndham. Working so, title. Working title. So. <laughs> So I thought that was interesting. Um, the Arizona Biltmore may be sold, and that was not official, but that uh, came out on Bloomberg today. So we may have the big deal of the conference as well. I thought it was interesting what we didn't talk about. And uh, the, the CEO for Carnival Cruise Lines said in her commentary when she was asked, he said, what I talk about all the time, what we're not talking about on this first panel was sustainability. And I think we're not talking about climate change, but we're talking everybody talks about insurance rates going up. You know, so I think that's an interesting conversation. The other piece that sort of struck me is when we go around, Isaac and I and, and, and Amanda Hyde from, from STR, and we talk about our RevPort forecast, the response that 
I got oftentimes is just like, yeah, yeah, okay, but let's talk about the middle of the PL. Let's talk about GOP growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that the top line is growing, is good, but everybody's worried about insurance costs, everybody's worried about labor costs, and everybody's worried about taxes. And they should be, because again, what we saw at most of last year was ADR growth below the rate of inflation, right? So if you look at it compared to 2019, we actually went slightly backwards in 2023. So yes, uh, we uh, that's an issue I think we have to be very cognizant of. We, demand is basically back at 2019 levels for all practical purposes, but it's rates that are still lagging. And I think that's going to be important. And then you have costs rising everywhere else, including insurance costs and including labor costs. So yeah, I think that's a very important piece. And it's really... I've been surprised that you keep saying it. We've heard it, but we've not had a lot of conversation about it at this uh, uh, this conference. Couldn't think of the word. Um, <laughs> as you talk about last year, do you want to just do a quick sure. recap of how last year was? What are the KPIs that Let's people ask us about mm-hmm. all the time? Because yeah. that full year 2023 and again, is not, in. And you're going to laugh. You're probably going to say, see, how can you be so optimistic? I know you're going to do it, so just go ahead and laugh at me now. But yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at RevPAR last year and to really take the key point. Yes, RevPAR was up 4.9%, but it was up because of the first quarter where RevPAR grew by 17%. If you look April through December, RevPAR only grew 1.9%. That's a 300 basis point delta. So yes, and what brought it down? I already kind of mentioned it was ADR growth. Also demand also softened April through December, but that's what we were talking about earlier when we saw the shift of domestic travel outbound. And so again, that's part of the reason. Another piece of that is we did see softening in the economy segment, and that was a a good... um, drain on demand overall. But if you look at the top four segments, so luxury, upper upscale, upscale, and upper midscale, RevPAR was growing at 3.9%. Did I say upper midscale correctly? So I think uh, you looked at me, I thought, okay, what did I do wrong? <laughs> and so, but it's like, um, so they were growing well. And again, but they also had the most room to grow. But what that means, they grow when business travel and group grows. And I think that's an important piece of that, that pie. And then finally, the only thing I will say is the piece that we also been talking a lot this year and that you should keep in mind is group demand growth was high this year, as we had predicted early on. So people are meeting, they want to meet again, and we think that'll be a driver into 2024 as well. Yeah, I think we're very bullish on group demand in October. We sold more group rooms than in October of 2019. Did you say bullish? Okay. On, on the group part. Okay, okay. Let the record show. So Jan is optimistic. On the leisure side, I think the verge is still out. How will the American leisure traveler travel in the in the United States or out of the United States? But I think, um, you know, the problem child continues to be corporate transient demand, you know, because we're just not back in the office all the time. Now, in a very, very optimistic reading of the data, isn't it possible that maybe if we are in the office 3-2, meaning not in the office Monday, Friday, that we may be traveling also 3-2. And can we see more compression nights and maybe more ADR growth Tuesday, Wednesday? That's what I'm wondering. You brought that up last month, and that one was something I jotted down and said, that. But what also heard... I bet that. But what we're hearing more and more, and I think we got to just be cognizant of it, even today on stage, more and more companies are going 4-5. 
and they're pushing that. And then certain one company, at least that I've heard of in Atlanta, UPS, is going full five. So I think you're going to start seeing a shift. Again, will it be auto, you know, will that automatically lead to more business travel? Not, no, no, may not. But I do think that's also a piece that's in shift or in flux. And so that could also change the way we travel, the way we've been traveling versus the way we used to travel. So it'll be interesting to see that shift. Lots of room for change. It's only January after all. Yes, it's only January. Let's keep that in mind. Any other highlights that stood out to you from the full year 2023 data? You know, we were, you've been talking for the last few months, and of course, you guys are always right when it comes to your forecasts. <laughs> I, I say that with a laugh, but you know, you, you've been very good at spotting what you think those trends and how things would shift out. But any surprises when you got the full year 2023? I don't know about surprises. I think what I was, I guess I was surprised at the comment we made at NYU about normalization, and it really felt more normal. Calendar shifts, things that we hadn't talked about really in a long time, really became a thing. And it really started affecting performance, right? It affected uh, April's performance, and then just recently, December, with the shift of New Year's Eve from a Saturday to a Sunday. And we did actually... We wrote about that. We did the analysis. And I was kind of shocked because we haven't done that work in a long time. And so that was surprising to me that it actually happened and people are still using stabilization, normalization. Things are getting back to normal. When we kind of just said that as an off-the-cuff statement at, I guess, NYU, is that I remember correctly. Can we just do a quick detour? Um, because February this year has another day. Can you just give us 30 seconds on how STR deals with February 29th okay. day just because it happens so rarely? In, ARD, in, ARD, in STR world, there is no leap year. So just kind of put it out of your mind. What we do is basically every February, regardless if it's a leap year calendar year, only has 28 days in STR world for its monthly data. So we take the full 29 days divided by 28 or divide it, take the data, divided by 28, and multiply, ah, I can't even say it, divided by 28. Add one, one day, yeah, I don't right. know. I haven't, we have not been drinking yet, folks. We, we haven't done that yet. But, yeah, we take the data and we, we normalize it for the 28 days. That's the easier way to say it. And uh, now, weekly data, if you're looking at our weekly data, yes, you will see a 29th day there. But again, on the monthly data, there is no leap year. Thank you. I just wanted to, you know, throw anybody's that out there birthday on leap year. Sorry, you will not be getting a card from Isaac. <laughs> um, one of the other topics of conversation that's come up this week as we talk about, particularly the transaction and, and financing side of the hotel industry, is how much more attractive hotels seem to be now as an asset class as compared to apartment to you know warehouse office office exactly <laughs> office has kind of been that laggard for a long time Jan can you put your CRE hat on a little bit and give us some comparison to how those other asset classes finished up 23 and how hotels kind of stack up yeah so first of all on the transaction side in the fourth quarter of last year we sold you know seven point something billion in assets and that was down 50 percent from a year ago and I think that's sort of fit the sentiment of deal makers in the year, especially in the last quarter, that everybody was just sort of in a wait and see mode. Now that the Federal Reserve has signaled that they're going to do rate cuts, maybe even three rate cuts um, this year, that I think gives deal makers a little bit more conviction that they, even if they don't know where the interest rate comes in, at least they know the interest rates won't go up 
So we're probably in the peak interest rate environment. And I was talking to a, a major deal maker and I said, so what do you think that does? And he's like, well, psychologically, that's good. Even though the Fed hasn't done anything yet, they just talked. There is no rate cut yet on the books. But I think psychologically, I think people will say, oh, okay, we are over this hump. We know it's not going to get, quote unquote, worse, if you want to use that word, in terms of interest, higher interest rates. So we can now plan a little bit better. We can now underwrite a little bit better. Now, will that sort of break the dam open and will we see this flood of deals in Q1? Absolutely not. Q2, I doubt it. Q3, hopefully. And then Q4, I think with the vengeance, because people are going to be afraid to miss the boat, I think we're going to see a lot more transaction activity in the second part of the year. I 100% agree. And when you ask about the other CRE classes, clearly office has been the battered, beat up problem child. We talk about the lack of business travel. We're not just making that up. That is clearly people are saying, oh, I can't visit with Isaac because he's not in the office. We're just going to do this on Teams or on Zoom. And I think there's just a lot more of that. And if it, I think if you look at the CoStar office data, you clearly see that vacancy rates are up and you clearly see that deals are being signed, but for much smaller square footage than landlords had before, sorry, than, than tenants had before. And all of this means there are just fewer people in the office. And so office is going to be impaired for a while. Um, uh, sorry, multifamily apartment complex is really the darling. Everybody wants, to, wants a piece of that. Um, and on the um, industrial warehouse space, um, we're seeing a lot more normalization. I think they've had their day in the sun in 2020, 2021, 2022. Um, there's a lot more new supply coming, so it's going to be interesting to see, but that's still definitely an investor darling as well. Mm -hmm. So all of those things fall into place. Hopefully, hotel transactions pick up at some point this year. Now, a lot of these elements are baked into the CoStar forecast for uh, 2024, uh, which was revised this week and released this week at the conference. And I want to, I will ask you about that in one second. Before that, I want to ask a question that sort of goes hand in hand with the forecast. This is an election year in the United States. It's also an election year in a lot of places around the world. From your historical perspective, how much of an impact does that really have? And you don't have to give me numbers, but I've always been curious. Is that really something that makes people, investors especially, be uncertain and wait for it to be over? I don't I'm sure in some cases investors will have a point of view depending on what candidate is elected, right? But from a traveling perspective at this point, there will be no change, right? There, that's The election year itself will not cause any disruptions or people reconsidering their travel plans, except with the one exception, and we had a good conversation about this last night, on the actual election day, I think you're going to see a deeper fall in demand this year than you've had in other elections. Remember, a lot of states have changed their rules on absentee voting. And because of that, it'll be harder to do absentee, so you have to literally go vote. And I also, so I, for that reason alone, I think people will stay home. It's a big election year, obviously, we all know that, especially in the United States. And so I think that may have a, a damping, dampening effect, a, a deeper dampening effect than we've seen in other years. Of course, no group and meeting planner is gonna plan anything on Monday and Tuesday, or probably Wednesday. So it's gonna be not till Thursday and Friday that you see the pickup again after mm -hmm. the previous week. What you said is also very important. Now, thinking of 25, 
more than half of the population will be voting a leader this year. According to The Economist, it's the most people or the most countries ever voting for a leader in history. That itself, yes, as we think about the future, leaders do make a difference to their traveling people, to their their their, uh, their uh, people that they govern. So you might see in the future if, if laws and travel restrictions or visas or something do come into a point. But that's more in the future, not in 2025 or 2024. Yeah, my very sort of shorthand answer is when people ask me what's the impact of the election on the 2024 U.S. hotel industry, I always say it's not the election that governs it, it's GDP growth. You know, it doesn't really matter what else is going on, but is the American economy expanding or not? And that's what impacts how the U.S. hotel industry behaves. Yes, are there some limited service hotels in New Hampshire or in Iowa that did better? Of course. Of course, of course you know? yeah. And will there be inauguration effect in Washington, D.C.? Yes. And will there not be any meetings, hardly any meetings in the week of the election? Yes. But other than that, you know, I think it's really a more of a macro question of how is GDP doing? That's how the American hotel industry will be doing. 100% agree. 100% agree. Other thoughts on the revised forecast? You know, it didn't change too much. There are, like I said, a lot of different elements baked in, but. You know, quite frankly, Steph, it didn't change because nothing has really changed. Mm -hmm. We know that the Fed has announced that, you know, there'll be interest rate cuts, but we haven't seen them. So as we were looking at the GDP forecast, and creating from November to the one we just created uh, this month, yeah, there was nothing really new. So it was hard to you know move the forecast. The models basically said, yeah, nothing's new. It looks about the same. So we're still predicting 4.1% RevPAR growth in 2024. And again, it's because there is really no new information. Now, there's some minor changes within the models and within each of the KPIs. But again, it's nothing to write home about. Like, you know, we are going to see we think now slightly higher supply growth, but we're talking 10 basis points higher. We're not talking 50 or 100 or 300 basis points. We're talking 10. And then within the chain scales, we had some ups and downs. I only think the most important thing that someone should think about in their forecast for this year is last year, uh, economy chains were down, right? RefPAR was down. I can't remember the exact number at the top of my head. But what we're thinking this year is it's going to be up by 1%. And I think that's a difference from last year. So we're thinking demand continues to grow. And more importantly, the other thing that we think is important this year is we believe ADR will grow ahead of inflation all year. And that's different from what we just came out of. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about that ADR number. So we're saying 4.1 for RefPAR driven by what in the ADR side? Um, 3.1. Yeah, I think it's 3.1. I'm trying to make sure it's mostly, it is ADR driving the RevPAR, but I think it's 3.1. I don't think it's 3.2. I was trying to make sure it's a 3.2 or 3.0, but it's in the threes. And so, um, but yes, it's, that's what's going to be driving it. Let's wrap up by talking about what you are both looking forward to in 2024. You know, I made this comment to Jan, and he started laughing. I am kind of looking as a analyst, and you're going to laugh, all of you listening to this, to just be bored. For the last three years, we have been just trying to unpack everything. What uh, what caused this? What caused that? How, how do we think about that? You know, I'm ready for a boring year, but I would say a boring year is good, right? Because again, it's just going to be, it'll be more traditional stuff. Will I have things to work on? Of course I will. And there'll be things we'll be investigating 
But this fire drill mentality we've been and trying to and just trying to unpack all this after the last three or four years after COVID, I'm ready to put that behind me and just get back to normal. So ask me normal questions about the industry versus what we've been dealing with for the last several years. Yeah, and how about you? You want to just kick back and be bored, flip exactly. out a TV show? <laughs> Boring is good. I guess the we're looking for more transaction activity, as I said, probably towards the end of the year. And that hopefully will not be boring, right? Hopefully a lot of players will be able to step in and see the opportunity and seize the opportunity and feel that they weren't left behind. I still don't think we're going to see this quote-unquote wall of distress that we've been talking about right. because people are still going to talk to their bankers and their bankers are going to say, well, look, now that we know the interest rate environment is going to be more favorable, we can probably extend or you, you'll be able to refinance. I think on the pipeline side, I think we're going to see more construction starts. You know, honestly, I think we're going to see more conviction from developers putting a shovel in the ground. Well, we, we're showing more, you know, properties opening in the forecast so i think that will happen i do i agree i think again it's a lot like you said as we began our discussion it's a lot of psychological stuff in there you know just the idea of lowering interest rates will start moving some projects along and i think that's a big good thing and again are we i you know we we, we we we're talking about this all the time are we out of the woods we're never out of the woods right we don't know what's going to happen next but again everything points to a more again just say I hate to use the word, but a more normal year. And I think that's good. I mean, we need that. We need, and it'll help us get our footing and get it, and then get back to our strategies of what we need to do as an industry and not be continually, can, you know, are we back there? Are we back? Are we back? Are we back? Did you drop that Taylor Swift line reference on purpose? Are we out of the woods? No, I didn't, but I should have thought about it. I should say yes, but you know how honest I am. But yes, no, I did not. Well, my forecast for the year is that neither one of you will be bored in the least <laughs> because there is always going to be something to talk about and talk about it we will on Tell Me More, a Hospitality Data podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Remember to stay tuned to hotelnewsnow.com for all of your hotel industry needs, needs, news, all of it. You'll find this podcast there along with on all of the other channels where you listen to podcasts. Like us, subscribe. We'll see you next month. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Devon Reed. I'm Omari Head. And I'm Chris Henry. We're the hosts of the Next Gen and Lodging podcast on the Hotel News Now podcast network. It's a monthly show in which we interview a new generation of hoteliers to get their insights into a variety of disciplines and topics, from finance to food and beverage and hotel operations. Listen to us on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Tell Me More, a Hospitality Data Podcast, was recorded on January 23, 2024, at the America's Lodging Investment Summit in Los Angeles. Editing and mixing by Trevor Simpson. Find this and all other Hotel News Now podcasts wherever you like to listen and be sure to subscribe. Visit Hotel News Now for all the global hotel industry news you need and to subscribe to our newsletters. Thank you.